Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Let me tell you about voting by mail. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit votemailchicago.com. That's votemailchicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. And I'm happy to report I'm calling out the census cowboy. This Bendrovsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Bendrovsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, July 31st, 2020. July, where have you gone? Please come back. Please don't go. No, no, no. That's a song that neither of my guests know because it's way before their time. Anyway. Oh, Anna uh, was saying I... horribly. <laughs> <laughs> really? Don't do that, Ben. <laughs> uh, as we do with all uh, bonus shows, I start by just saying what's in the headlines. So, like, when you're listening to this five years from now, because believe it or not, with a podcast, people are listening to this stuff from, for like a year ago I did with these two guests. That show that they did that 
that first show gets like three downloads a day. I'm just amazed by podcasts. It's a miracle. Somehow or other, someone's like, hey, you know, I'll go listen to this interview with these two guests who you'll know who they are in a little bit. Anyway, the headline in today's uh, Sun-Times, I'm delivered as always, ex-presidents honor civil rights icon and swipe at Trump. They're talking about John Lewis's uh, funeral in Atlanta and the ex-presidents are Bush. Clinton and Obama. We'll be talking about that with my distinguished guests. Uh, So that's what the headline was uh, today. Distinguished guests, introduce yourselves. And I'm going to start with distinguished guest whose first initial is J. Hey, this is Juanita Irizarry, and um, I'm executive director of Friends of the Parks. Though, as I always say, my opinions here are my own. That's correct. Am I telling you what I'm thinking about or not yet? Uh, no, not yet, because we have to let the other distinguished guest introduce oh, yeah. herself. Distinguished <laughs> guest who name begins with L, introduce Hi. yourself. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Lori Glenn. I'm president and CEO of Think Inc., which is a political and public affairs consulting firm on social justice issues. We're Chicago-based, but we do work internationally as well. And I've known Lori Glenn since there were dinosaurs on Earth, okay? Just put that out there, okay? We go back a long, long time. And, I, and, and folks, I just got to say this. I know it sounds like I'm pimping for Google. And Google, if you want to kick some money into the Ben Jarowski show anytime. But this Google Meet thing is no joke. It's the best thing we've done. And so I'm looking at everybody. I see Dennis. I see Lori. I see Juanita. But they can't see me because my computer is from the Clinton era. Uh, and it doesn't have a camera. Anyway, all right. Uh, we're going to start off with what's on your mind and uh, allow uh, you two to use the show as a bulletin board, if you will. And I'm going to start with you, Juanita. I know you have some local issues on your mind before we go into national issues. So talk about them. Yeah, environmental justice issues are big on my mind right now. There's actually a deadline today to get some comments in about the general iron polluter from Lincoln Park that is being moved down to the southeast side if plans go as they look like they're going to go. But there's a bunch of folks um, worried about the 10th Ward continuing to get dumped on and that um, is supposed to General Iron's location on the southeast side as proposed is uh, not far from Rowan Park. So we're not excited about a polluter spewing its pollution all around the park. And we're working on a pollution dump on Lake Michigan um, at the confluence of the Calumet River. And we're just really calling upon the mayor and her new chief sustainability officer, Angela Tovar, to just recognize that black and brown communities keep getting dumped on and we need some leadership that we are not seeing. All right, now let me just uh, say this. A lot of our listeners are out, actually not from Chicago, yep. but I always say that this, these local Chicago issues have resonance because they're like parables for things that are happening all over the country. So folks who are not from Chicago, I'm just going to help uh, translate some of the things Juanita was saying. There is a, sh- uh, a shredding operation on the north side of Chicago in an area that is has rapidly gentrified, so it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb, and the well-to-do uh, residents in the area have been trying to get it out of there forever 
And this particular operation is moving to a working class community on the far southeast side of Chicago. And somehow or other, the shredding operation that was considered inappropriate for the upscale gentrifying neighborhood on the north side of Chicago is perfectly acceptable on the southeast side of Chicago. This is a story, uh, Juanita and Lori, that is old as time in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, so folks in Denver who are listening, I'm sure you have similar situations uh, in your town. Don't you think so, Juanita, that this is an age-old story? Oh, definitely. And and leaders not wanting to actually step up and find real, sustainable, healthy solutions for communities unless forced uh, is an old tale for sure. All right, Lori Glenn, what's on your bulletin board that you want people to know about? Well, um, actually, cops out of schools. I have been working with Communities United, and uh, there have been several votes recently because all of a sudden, local school councils are now considered really important institutions, which is really ironic since um, we were involved in helping to create them uh, 20-some years ago, and uh, the institutions that be have done everything to actually disempower them, but suddenly they are powerful enough that they can stop uh, from getting cops out of schools. But the good news is, is that there have been several votes recently in several leading Chicago schools that um, are voting police out of the schools. And I think that's a really good thing because the whole rethinking of the police is something that we all have to be doing right now in terms of looking at Uh, public safety from a public health perspective and looking at restorative justice, at mental health issues, social workers, and creating environments for people who have not been given the same opportunities as white people. So that's been on my mind. All right, and uh, this is a a topic uh, Lori and Juanita, that we've been talking a lot about on our show. A lot of different guests have been coming in, weighing in on both sides of the issue. And just again, for our, our listeners in Denver, I'm really thinking about our listeners in Phoenix and uh, what have you, in Tennessee, uh, the, in Chicago, there's a debate going on, should uh, the the cities uh, position two police officers in, in every school? Uh, but there's been an outcry it's in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder to defund the police, to take the, the police out of the schools. To me, uh, one of the issues that really grinds my gears, as they say, Lori Glenn, is that uh, it's not just that the uh, schools have the police officers. If a school wants to have a police officer, I believe they should have the police officer. It's that the Board of Ed will not give them any money to replace the police officers. In other words, if they want to say, you know what, we don't want the police officers in our school, but we would like to hire two social workers. The the Board of Ed is not saying, all right, we're going to take $100,000 and we'll go to two police officers and give you $100,000 for two social workers. So it's like you either have the police or you don't have the police, which is really, in my humble opinion, Lori, not much of a choice. Right. But yeah, it's even more than that, Ben, because what's happening is that the police have been inserted into discussions where no police should be found. (laughs) And so I think that we really need to think about what it's like. And I know this is me as a white, older Jewish woman saying this um, because I haven't had those issues in my life growing up. But what is it like to be a young person of color who feels as if every step they take is being watched 
and they're criminalized for something that a white young person on a near north side school would never be criminalized for. It would just be, oh, they're just, you know, girls are being girls or boys are being boys. Oh, that's just who they are. Give them a little slap on the wrist, though. Of course, you can't touch anyone <laughs> anymore. But I actually did get slapped twice from teachers when I was in uh, grammar school. I'm sure you find that hard to believe. But, um, and I just think it's more than just uh, trading out police for social workers. I actually fundamentally believe you need to get police out of the schools. You can even hire private um, services, but you need to not have police in the schools. Juanita, your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on this subject? Um, Yeah, I actually went to high school at Kelvin Park High School with um, closed campus because we had so many gang problems and police in our schools. Um, And I will say at the time it did not seriously bother me, but I do personally believe we should have the police out of the schools. But I do think the funding issue is part of the problem and why local school councils don't necessarily feel free to get rid of the police because there isn't some alternative being offered. And, and, and that's part of the, the problem right now. Yeah, I'm with you. By the way, uh, uh, the biggest problem with Kelvin Park High School was not the students. It was a principal they had. This was before your time, a guy named James Moffat. As soon as oh, you said. No, no. He went down my senior year of high school. That was my time for sure. Oh, good God. That was in the 80s. You're uh, an 80s kid. Yeah. Yep. Uh, th- this this is one of the sleaziest chapters in the history of Chicago schools and Chicago politics. And that's saying a lot, Juanita and Lori, because <laughs> there's a lot of sleazy chapters. But this guy was the principal of the school. He was using his influence as the principal to prey on kids, girls and boys, yeah. uh, and young men and young women. And uh, he was well connected in the system and he was protected for years. It was a disgrace. Uh, by the way, on this point, uh, we're going to move on from this, but there was a very interesting letter to the editor today from a Chicago who identifies herself as a Southside resident and the wife of a Chicago police officer. And I'm constantly thinking of ways that we can build a bridge between all the, like the two communities in the city, uh, the black community and the white community, and the attitude about police officers overlooks the fact that some of the police officers are themselves black people who grew up in the city of Chicago. And I would think that like, this is some way we could encourage a little bridge building, communication, better communication, so it's not like two sides that are at each other's throats all the time. And I'll just read you this letter, a portion of this letter from Juanita Santiago, who I do not know, Lori and Juanita. I'm just reading the letter that she wrote in today's Sometimes. Uh, As people of color, my husband and I want to help solve the problem that we ourselves survived growing up in Chicago. The shootings, senseless killings, gangs, drugs, broken homes, social and economic disparities. But sadly, Chicago seems stuck on an old image of police officers failing to see our city's new emerging diverse generation of young officers. Who is telling the story of officers who were born and raised in this city who are former Chicago public school students? These city kids, now as police officers, are unwelcome in their own communities and schools because of funding debates. Uh, 
I'm not quite sure I would go so far as to agree with what she's saying, because in the reality is that uh, most of the schools, particularly in the black neighborhoods, are voting for keeping their police officers. But I do believe uh, Juanita and Lori uh, that she's making a compelling point because I'm so old that there were kids that play with my kids when they were growing up, Juanita, that are now police officers. Yeah. You know, I, I see some kid, Billy yeah, Bob, but- I got to call him Officer Billy Bob. Go ahead, Lori Glenn. But uh, let's look at who they just elected as the president of the Chicago Police uh, Department. Fraternal Order of Police, yes. Fraternal Order of Police. A nightmare. Sorry, I never met the guy. Don't want to. He is a nightmare. They strategically uh, targeted uh, retired police officers to turn out and get out the vote. So you've got somebody who is an avid Trump supporter in now. And you, you have what is going on is... A transitioning culture, but it has not transitioned. So I, I don't know how we're really going to see culture change. When, well, let's put it this way: the culture will evolve and change as these people age out. But even with the people who have aged out, they they still get to vote, and they put in someone who represents the worst, not the best, of what a police officer can represent. So I think this is a conversation that's a little more complicated because these police officers had an opportunity after the last president of the FOP to actually put in someone who had a progressive voice to represent the modern day police officers that this woman spoke about. And they did not, which leads us to John Lewis. <laughs> All right, we'll get to But this is way to make a quick correction. Voting. Only only current rank and file police officers get to vote for fraternal order police. So I can't uh, blame it on the geezers. I'm not uh, sure. Is that for sure? Yes. I'll bet you lunch at the favorite restaurant of your choice. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm no fan of, believe it or not. No, I no, mean, let me make that clear. Uh, Canizera, uh, he loves Trump. He loves Trump more than I love the Bulls. But uh, I, I hear what you're saying uh, about. Uh, a very big problem. Yes. If then, then the Ben, the problem is even bigger. Yes. Because that means that the current set of police officers voted in someone who may not believe that black lives matter. So I have a problem with that because yeah. we need to change the culture of police officers and what it means to be a police officer. I think we need to change their job description. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. So I if I can chime in, um, one of my um, classmates at Calvin Park High School, we were among the honor students, top 25, that used to hang out a lot. And he's now the, um, the president of the Puerto Rican Police Association. Um, he's a cop out in Cicero, so he's not within the Chicago Police Department, but we engage all the time around these conversations. And, you know, I think of him as a good guy, someone who was my friend, and You know, I often challenge him on what is he doing to challenge the bad cops, you know, because he likes to talk about all the good that cops do. And, you know, he worries about all the kind of really bad things that they encounter out there. And, and, you know, I think partly feels like those of us who don't encounter all that don't know how hard it is out there on them. Right. And and I, I do have a number of friends who are police officers, so I do know that it's hard. Um, but I have challenged a number of folks that I know to do more to challenge the bad culture um, 
that surrounds them, you know, and if they want me to be on their side, then there's certain things I got to refrain from saying on Facebook that, you know, I still see too often, you know, it makes me wonder, Um, you know, there are some good folks out there for sure, but the whole structure needs to be remade. Um, But I will say additionally to complicate it more um, in my own work, as we um, think about security around parks, I will say that the older African-Americans who are on the park advisory councils are not as quick to want to get rid of police as the young folks talking about defund the police. So there are generational differences um, and and we need to kind of all be in conversation about these issues to really how to make it something that serves all of us and that our quality of life is good for all of us and that we don't just have to think about living in a security state. I'm with you, Alyssa. Uh, Canizero, who's the current uh, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, this is when it came down to Lori. It was a runoff. Two Trump supporters, Kevin Graham, who uh, was the uh, old head of the Fraternal Order of Police, I guess he wasn't militantly pro-Trump enough because he replaced him with Canizero, who was the guy who was photographed. When he, in a, uh, there was a picture of him holding up a sign that said, among other things, I support the president. Uh, now, as now that he's the head of Fraternal Order Police's attitude is, if a police officer takes a knee, uh, he's gonna he's gonna use his power to kick him out of the union. Now, I don't understand from a free expression point of view how those two are consistent. If Johnny Canizera has the right, in his opinion, from free expression, to put up a sign that says "I support Donald Trump," I believe another police officer has a free expression right to take a knee in solidarity with protesters. I would think that would just be the most logical conclusion one can make if you're an advocate of free expression. Do you agree with me, Lori Glenn? Yes, of course. But the real issue behind that is why did not one of the progressive, because I want to say I honor the police, you know, that are protecting us. I honor people who are trying to do public good. They're trying to do uh, public service. And I know that there are many people who are doing that out there. And I wanna say for the record, thank you. But then why didn't you run for office with the FOP? So why didn't one progressive voice organize in the FOP at a time when more than ever it was important to have a rational person who was intelligent and could actually address the very complex issues. We as a city, as a county, as a state and a nation, and we could be leading pathways with our leaders right now on how to rethink, because that's what defund the police means. It means let's rethink. And as Juanita said, we are looking at systemic issues right now, systemic change. So how do we not go, oh, I just am so afraid of this change. I'm going to lose my job. You know, like as a consultant, if I did what I did 20 years ago today, I would not have a firm. It just doesn't work like that. The world has changed and the world is changing for policing. And what we really need is strong, effective leadership who is willing to look at the present state of the world and say, what does it mean to be a police officer in the 21st century, what does it mean today for us to keep ourselves healthy and safe? And again, I believe that public safety is a public health issue. And I think they are intrinsically tied together. Juanita, you wanna have any closing thoughts before we move on to uh, 
the John Lewis? Yeah, just that you said that this, you know, this would be the logical answer where there's so much about this that is not about logic. (laughs) You know, it's about deeply held sense of where one status in society should be. And um, it's about people not wanting to move out of their comfort zone. It's not really about logic. Right. All right, uh, let's move on to uh, John Lewis's eulogy. I watched the three speeches that the presidents made, the, the presidents Bush, Clinton, uh, and Obama, and I have a lot of thoughts about all of them, but I've got to say my thoughts earlier in the show, so I want to hear uh, what Juanita and Lori uh, have to say. So we'll start with you, Lori. Your general thoughts about the eulogies at John Lewis's funeral and what it just says about where America is today. Well, um, clearly, Barack Obama brings home what it means to have a leader who I may not have always agreed with Barack as he became president, but what a thoughtful, caring, Um, visionary, um, empathetic, um, understanding, uh, educated. Um, I know white people aren't supposed to call a black person articulate, so, but, you know, so brilliantly stated. He was, uh, just made me cry. And um, so, and he spoke to what is in the best of us. And uh, John Lewis, of course, he, he talked about basically tenacity um, and the ability to, when the chips are down, when you think everything's against you, what do you do? It's not what happens to you in life, it's what you do with it. You pick yourself up, you brush yourself off, and you move forward. And John Lewis was clearly um, emblematic of that. And Barack, well, do I wish he was president again right now? Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Juanita, why don't you? Yeah. Yeah, well, as much as I have things that I currently pick at Obama for, it certainly was nice to hear him speak and and reminded of the the tone and the type of leadership um, that we had for eight years and we have uh, deeply missed. Um, I had just seen, I think it was Stephen Miller's comments or somebody this afternoon saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe Barack Obama was so political in his um, speech, you know, his eulogy. So having just seen that when I went back to listen to the whole thing, having only seen clips of it, um, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was so appropriate. Everything about it was honoring who John Lewis was and his legacy um, and what we hopefully will take from that um, to move on forward uh, as a country. And as the, the evangelical girl that I often talk about in on this show, my own experience with funerals is that they're always like a call to action. It's often a call to spiritual action and reflection on the next life. But I certainly felt that this, you know, that Obama's comments were 
you know, totally appropriate in, in honoring um, the congressman and his life and calling us to reflect on, on how we honor uh, his legacy. Well, I, uh, I I did not know that Stephen Miller uh, made those comments. I'm not surprised. And just for <laughs> folks who don't know, Stephen Miller is uh, one of the leading advisors to uh, Donald Trump uh, and his expertise. And I have that in air quotes uh, is immigration. The guy hates immigration. Uh, he would build a wall so high. Uh, that nobody would get in uh, to the country. Miller uh, is an extreme right winger. Uh, I I'm, I had a smile when you said that, Juanita, mm-hmm. because and this is this is one of my pet peeves: the way in which the civil rights icons of the '60s mm-hmm. get sort of pacified by yeah. popular culture these days. Yeah. I see it the most mostly with Martin Luther King. Yeah. Like the only thing anybody ever remembers when you're on the right about Martin Luther King is uh, the phrase colorblind society. Which, so they try to use Martin Luther King uh, as an jujitsu move to destroy yeah. affirmative action. Yeah. And like Martin Luther King would be against affirmative action because you have to judge somebody by the the quality of their character, not their skin color. I'm like, no, Martin Luther King was for affirmative action. Martin Luther King was Bernie Sanders before there was freaking Bernie Sanders. He was a lefty. Okay? He was a lefty. And when he was alive, you were throwing rocks at him. Okay? So all the predecessors to Donnie Trump supporters were throwing rocks at him. So I just find it so ironic, almost like intentionally funny, that Stephen Miller would be lamenting the politics because what the hell? They're trying to destroy everything that John Lewis achieved when he got his head whacked in at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Lori Glenn is dying to say something. Go ahead, Lori. Well, what an incredible human being he was that he planned uh, a commentary piece to be in the New York Times and uh, the day he died. So this guy was so thoughtful. And what he said was, together, you can redeem the soul of our nation. Though I am gone, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. And I think that democracy is a contact sport and that it is something that has to be massaged. It has to be participated in. And what Barack said is that It is the average everyday person that can make our country great. And that even he said that our founding uh, people uh, said that, you know, we start in an imperfect union, but we work towards making it better. And until Trump became president, I think we were. And we are in a free fall for our democracy today, regardless of whoever spoke at that funeral. Or, and, and did the eulogies. And that as Americans, what we need to do is take back our democracy. And the only way we can do that is by voting. And that is the key issue. And my biggest concern today is that young people who are really brilliantly involved in creating their t- current civil rights movement my biggest fear is it will not translate into votes. And if they do not vote in those swing states, especially that we need them because of our archaic electoral college, that it won't matter if we have 10 million more votes in California, Illinois, and New York, 
if every Democrat in all those states vote, we will still lose and we will definitely lose our democracy. And to people like Stephen Miller, who I am so sad that he, I am Jewish, he is Jewish, I am ashamed of him, he is a horrible human being, I cannot believe he is making policy in this nation. And I hope that when this administration is gone, that there is a Nuremberg type of trial and some tribune uh, that will allow us to actually put these people on trial for the heinous crimes of over 150,000 Americans are dead. Over 150,000 Americans are dead because we never had national policy around COVID. Millions more without jobs, which has led to unbelievable increase in violence because of the despair we feel in America. So I'm going to stop now. I, I'm sorry. I've, I've clearly spent too much time alone. No. <laughs> You're on a riff. You're on a riff. Juanita, your thoughts? Well, I was just thinking that my 23-year-old stepdaughter is dying to vote Trump out of office. So I hope there's a whole bunch more like her. I, I have gotten to be Facebook friends with some of her buddies. And um, actually, two of them are moving from Puerto Rico to Chicago for jobs. And they'll be here in time to vote in the United States of America. They're not allowed to vote in the colony of Puerto Rico. But here they will be able to cast their vote against Donald Trump. So my hope is that there's a whole bunch of their generation that are going to get out and vote. Uh, yeah, and I just want to uh, point out, uh, Lori, I, I share your concern about uh, people not showing up to vote. Uh, the, the good news in that is um, uh, all the studies show that the younger generation is uh, far more to the left than my generation. And I've been saying this for a while, uh, Lori and Juanita, uh, you're both a little younger than I am, but my generation is freaking worthless in when it comes to politics. We had good music, but we are terrible politics. The baby boomers <laughs> worthless. Every president they elected, with the exception of Obama, has sold out. And even Obama, I love Obama. Like everybody else in Illinois, you're like you have to love. Carter's been a great post president. Greatest post Yeah, but by the way, terrible president, but great post. I, I wouldn't even say he was terrible. He's a great post, but he wasn't even a. Uh, like a baby. I, when I think the baby boomers, they kicked in the gear with Ronald W. Reagan. They elected Ronald Reagan, George Bush. They probably wanted to elect uh, Bush again and Bob Dole because Ross Perot was in the race. Uh, Billy Clinton won. And then they elected George W. Bush twice. So a worthless generation, the baby boomers. I'm happy to say, Juanita and Lori, that all the studies show we had David Ferris on. He just wrote a book. The kids are all left. That the millennial generation is far to the left of the baby boomers. So I actually am looking to the new generation. Yes. With hope and optimism, because they're better than this worthless bunch of baby boomers that have managed to screw up every election. Lori okay, Glenn, defend the baby boomers. Go. Okay, well, no, I'm not at all. What I want to say is I've been doing phone calling into voters in Michigan. And um, this one call um, for Biden um, uh, was a woman um, who I believe was African-American. And uh, she and I had a long conversation and she started by saying, I just lost my, oh no, she started by saying, why are white people so racist? 
We had a long conversation about that. And she said her mother had recently died. And we had, and it was, it was very touching, our, our conversation. And then I said, so you're going to be voting for Joe Biden? And she goes, uh, I don't know. I'm undecided. Oh, so I don't believe. Said, I don't believe that for one second. <laughs> no, I believe the conversation happened, but I don't believe she's undecided. Go. I, I am telling. So Ben, let's let's talk about this. This is serious. So I try again. I think maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I wasn't clear to her. I said, you know, there's just two candidates: Joe Biden, Donald Trump. You said that you really couldn't stand Donald Trump, and. Uh, so the only alternative is actually to vote for Joe Biden to ensure Donald Trump isn't president. So do you think you'll vote for Joe Biden? I certainly gone. I might get fired as a, a phone caller. This definitely went beyond what we were supposed to say. And she goes, you know, I just am not sure. Now, wow. where do I get upset about this? Kanye West. Uh. Kanye West has decided in his maniacal idiocy to yeah. run for president and he is and i am sure money that is behind trump is behind kanye because let us not forget it took thirty-five thousand votes that was it to elect this person now in the white house Thirty-five thousand votes kanye west so this woman might say yeah you know i don't really like joe biden that much but kanye speaks to me did she actually say that? No, I didn't bring okay, that. Yeah, I'm saying, because he hadn't at okay. that point. But think about it. Think about it. He could pull, just like Nader did, 35,000 hanging chats, right? And we're back at square zero. So I'm concerned. I'm very worried. Juanita, are you guys concerned? I don't know if Kanye can get on the ballot in enough places to make that big a difference. Um, but I have seen some super far left folks that I know say that they would vote for Kanye um, or just write somebody else's name in. Right, they can write him in. And I, you know, I'm not a Joe Biden fan, but I'm at the point where I'm like, yo, people, are you ridiculous? Like, our do- democracy is going to go down. And I like, Barack Obama said it was not a perfect democracy when it was started, and we keep having to work on making it better. But what Trump has done to this country is really scary. Um, and I was having a conversation with a, a a cousin of my dad's generation about politics, and he's just like, oh, this is just politics as usual. And like, he's a Democrat, but all his friends are Republican, and he doesn't want to have to, you know, challenge them on their beliefs. And I'm like, this is the fall of Rome. This <laughs> That's is not exactly right. This is not politics as usual, primo. All due respect, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all right, Juanita, I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, all day long, I've been ranting and raving about bill clinton yeah and uh he was in one of the and george bush as well but let's just concentrate as uh, democratic voters on clinton and i am at the position where i am asking my beloved democratic party yeah. uh to wean itself of bill clinton uh-huh. i've seen enough of bill clinton 
to last a lifetime. He's up to his eyebrows in the Jeffrey Epstein case. Democrats like to put their head in the ground and pretend they're like ostriches when it comes to Bill Clinton. His behavior with Monica Lewinsky in the White House was absolutely uh, disgusting. And he's right back at it. This guy, I think Democrats should be ashamed that Bill Clinton is associated with their party and I just, when I saw him there at the job, I'm like, why, what, no, what, what, can we get Jimmy Carter? I mean, JC is way better ex-president than Bill Clinton. So Juanita, do you share my feelings or do you think I've gone too far? Go. I I don't need any Bill Clinton in my life. Um, (laughs) I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I have heard him speak in public and, you know, he does have that charisma and he is brilliant. And, you know, when you are there with him in person, you know, he's very, he's charming and he's interesting and he can, you know, make remarks off the cuff with no preparation. And I mean, he's just really brilliant. So I understand kind of how people are drawn to him, but as you have already enumerated, there's a long list of reasons why he should not be our poster boy um, for the Democratic Party. Laurie? Well, it's all about seduction, right? Mm -hmm. I never liked the Clintons. Uh, and though I believe Hillary would have made a great president, and I am more than terribly sorry she did not. But um, Bill Clinton, uh, he was always to the right. He moved the party to the right. Uh, Rob Manuel was his chief of staff for a while. Uh, he brought in all these um, very conservative elements to bring the Democratic Party. He did NAFTA. He got rid of um, public safety, uh, public, um, you know, uh, programs that uh, protected people if they lost everything in life. Um, so I think that it was he was a great seducer of people. Uh, and he's a person who really needed to be loved. And I always believe that that is a very uh, tragic uh, quality for a leader. Who, if you need to be loved as an elected official, you are always going to make bad decisions. Um, and uh, I think that the Democratic Party. Oh, and by the way, it was under Clinton that the entire beginning of the debacle of the um uh, mortgage uh, downfall of the Great Recession happened because he got rid of all of the regulations and laws that had created separation of church and state in the financial industry. Yeah. Yep. And once he did that and allowed the bundling of all of these loans, and it was, he absolutely was in bed with the banks. And we see with his foundation now that he's in bed with uh, dictatorships that fund his work, and clearly he was in bed with Epstein and some of those young girls, possibly. And uh, I cannot say that I would want to see him as the face of the party. But I will say this, that I have heard, because I never met him in person, uh, that uh, other people I know, like Juanita, who met him and um, who uh, knew him and worked with him, just said, you've never met anyone who had such incredible charisma 
and this um, appeal, that's sex appeal to men and women. But I don't mean sexually, but just that kind of animal attraction that people have to leaders. And by the way, the most dangerous form of leadership there is. Yeah, I uh, I know I know the man is uh, that, that is a great line, uh, a great uh, seducer of people. I I wrote that down. I'll probably steal it and use it and not give you any credit, Lori Glenn. Um, that's generally how I operate. All my clients. <laughs> that's that's how I roll. Okay, uh, uh, at least I'm upfront about it. All right, let's close with uh, predictions and what's in your heart for the vice president. I have a feeling, Juanita, that by the time this show airs, uh, Joe Biden will announce his vice president, maybe right after it. I don't know. The show will drop on Monday. So, uh, but all the news stories I saw before we started the interview were saying Biden's about ready to announce. Biden's about ready to announce. So we'll start with uh, who do you want him to take and who do you think he's going to take? Juanita. Oh, I, I am ever less convinced that I have any idea who he's actually going to take. Um, I guess I, I, I still kind of think about Stacey Abrams, but I have no sense that I that I, I know who he's going to pick. So sorry, I'm going to be weak and pass it to Lori Glenn. <laughs> well, who do you want him to take? Do you have a favorite? I mean, yeah. I mean, I still love Stacey Abrams, right? And, um, you know, he's talked to um, our local Senator Tammy Duckworth, and I actually would not vote for her, probably. Um, so, yeah, I, I can stick with Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Well, yeah, I got a feeling you're about as lefty as I am. You kind of <laughs> hide it because you got to do that Friends in the Park thing. Yeah. <laughs> you're, as, you're out there with me on lefty land. You're pretty left. Uh, Lori Glenn, go ahead. Well, it's clear there's one woman who has wanted the job, who's been clear about it, who's worked tirelessly uh, against voter suppression, who's dynamic, who is independent, who I feel, though she has not had lots of experience in government, I would trust that she is an old soul. And she would galvanize young people. And I believe the black community would be thrilled to have Stacey Abrams. There's just one person that he has on that list that makes my heart go pitter-pat. And that's Stacey Abrams. Now they say she's, he's considering Kamala Harris. And I am so sorry, but don't do it. Don't do it, Joe. Do not go there. Why? The black community is ambivalent. She was in, well, she is not. I did not. America didn't like her to begin with. She is not as strong. She seemed distracted. When I watched her on the debates, she's, I, I did miss that one debate that everyone said she was just so terrific. And I looked at all the other debates because you shamed me into watching all the debates. I was on your show and I had I was like, oh my God. I'm telling you, she did not do it for me. I know people who have worked with her. They didn't like her. They didn't trust her. I don't trust her. I'm sorry. If she becomes the vice president, clearly, uh, you know, I'm not going to be part of her uh, inner circle. But um, Stacey Abrams, she is about hope. She and, and, you know, that is such an important element always in politics. 
This woman, when you hear her speak, you remember like Barack. And again, I have had major differences with Barack Obama when he was president and what he and and the choices he made. But his ability to orate and 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 to elevate and to remind us what is the best in all of us to remind us that we can do better, that we can be better, that wearing a mask is not about your safety, but it's about making sure you don't make someone else sick. Well, that is so fundamental to our country's values that are the best of us. So Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, if anybody's listening, she's your gal. Um, all right. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I, I totally Kamala, uh, way too much. There goes, uh, Lori, there goes any uh, consulting you're going to do for Kamala Harris <laughs> right out the window. Uh, I, I predict, okay, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm predicting that Val Demings will be the vice presidential candidate. I'm throwing that out there. What the hell? Because I've learned about predictions, Lori Juanita. If I get it wrong, nobody remembers. So who cares? <laughs> if I get it right, I talk about it forever. I predicted Val Demings, and as you know. Um, she, of course, is the congresswoman from Florida uh, who had a leading role in the impeachment proceedings. And just the other day, I was impressed. She was grilling bar uh, at the uh, House uh, yeah, hearings. Uh, yeah, she's tough. And she's a former police chief getting back to the policing talk. Remember I said, got to build a bridge, got to build that bridge. Uh, so I, I don't know. There's just something I've got a feeling uh, to quote the Beatles that uh, she might get it, even though uh, across the board, if you're going to make money in Vegas, everyone is saying, put your money down on Kamala Harris, despite what Lori Glenn said, uh, that Joe Biden is going to pick Kamala Harris, uh, so that yeah, I know, and I love uh, Stacy as well, as much as you guys do. But I just—he's not picking her, guys. I can tell well, you that. What about Karen Bass? Karen Bass, and uh, you know, Bass yeah, Angeles. Can I just say, I don't think yeah. Kamala gets him anybody. You know, I mean, Kamala doesn't bring a state into play that's you know he needs to bring into play. So I don't know why he would pick her. He's the Val Demings piece I do like. I remember in one of our conversations, we did talk about Florida. And I remember commenting that I just didn't know who in Florida was positioned to be the right person. Um, so I, I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, I'm going to close with this. Juanita, I, I got to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you boycotting Goya products? Go. Absolutely. Okay. My, my house is full of Goya products and I'm using them all up and never buying any more. Exactly. Wow. We've been talking a lot about that. I, I forgot to tell you that uh, before the show. We have been talking about the Goya boycott a lot and we'll probably continue to talk about it. Uh, Lori Glenn, you boycotting Goya as well? Oh, my God. I would never touch their products ever again. Ever. Okay. <laughs> It'll help my blood pressure anyway because it all has too much salt. All right. Uh, I want to thank uh, Juanita Irizarry and Lori Glenn. You guys are great friends of my show. You're such good sports coming on uh, month after month. Really appreciate you doing this. I want you to stay healthy and sound, and we'll talk to you uh, probably in a month or so, okay? All right. All right. Thank you all. That's Bye. Lori Juanita. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.